from uh, the book of Deuteronomy, 30th chapter, beginning at the 15th verse. If you'd like to follow along, it's printed in your liturgy. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. God of light and wonder and mystery and presence, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for these ancient words, and we pray that we might hear a word for us this day. And so we make this prayer in the power of your many names. Amen. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of your God that I am commanding you today, by loving the Holy One, walking in God's ways, and observing God's commandments, decrees, and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous, and the Holy One will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live loving God, obeying and holding fast to God, for that means life to you and length of days, so that you may live in the land that the Holy One swore to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Our second reading from this morning is from the Gospel of St. Matthew, the fifth chapter, and it's also found in the middle of your bulletin insert if you'd like to follow along. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of the members 
than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to God. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is God's footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great sovereign. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Here ends our reading. May God add to that our understanding. Very intense to read up here from the pulpit. <laughs> There was an old UCC pastor whose family had inherited a large ranch in the Sierra foothills. It had a whole range of farm animals, pigs, goats, sheep, and cows, a yard of chickens and ducks, and every once in a while new litters of puppies and kittens. The generation before this pastor used the, used the ranch to hold summer camps for kids and it became his ministry as well. On the first day of each session, after all the girls and boys arrived and the sun began to go down, he brought them to a place on a hill overlooking the Sacramento Valley. The children would find a place to sit in the tall grass with ends made soft by tufts of seeds and listen to Chuck retell this story. High in the Himalayan mountains lived a wise old man. Periodically, he ventured down into the local village to entertain the villagers with his special knowledge and talents. One of his skills was to psychically tell the villagers the contents of their pockets, boxes, or mines. A few young boys from the village decided to play a joke on the wise old man and discredit his special abilities. One boy came up with the idea to capture a bird and hide it in his hands. He knew, of course, the wise old man would know the object in his hands was a bird. The boy devised a plan. Knowing the wise old man would correctly state the object in his hands was a bird, the boy would ask the old man if the bird was dead or alive. If the wise man said the bird was alive, the, bir the boy would crush the bird in his hands so that when he opened his hands, the bird would be dead. If the wise man said the bird was dead, the boy would open his hands and let the bird fly free. So no matter what the old man said, the boy would prove the old man a fraud. The following week, the wise old man came down from the mountain into the village. The boy quickly caught a bird and, cupping it out of sight in his hands, walked up to the old 
man and asked, Old man, old man, what is it that I have in my hands? The wise old man said, You have a bird. And he was right. The boy then asked, Old man, old man, tell me, is the bird alive or dead? The wise man looked at the boy and said, The bird is as you choose it. And so it is with your life. After he finished telling this story, Chuck would ask the children to be in the quiet, allowing themselves to spread out along the hillside and to think about the story that was just told, saying to them, these next two weeks are up to you. How do you want to choose to spend your length of days? Children 8 to 12 years old, with the authority, the agency to choose. In what has been described as Moses' last will and testament, a final gift to his people, Moses also tells them the choice is theirs. After recalling all they've been through together, slavery in Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, receiving the commandments, wandering in the wilderness, he invokes the cosmic witnesses, heaven and earth, as one scholar observes, quote, not to testify to Israel's sin, but to vouch that Yahweh has placed before them the choice between life and death. And this choice is open-ended. The choice of life always remains an option, even though they have, and will again, miss the mark. There is always room to make a new start, to reaffirm their allegiance to God, to choose life. And what does it mean to choose life? According to Moses, and to those who have interpreted him, choosing life includes appointing just judges and pushing government to guard against excessive wealth, providing cities of refuge for those fleeing persecution, and limiting punishment to protect human dignity, offering hospitality to runaway slaves, giving them the choice to live wherever they'd like to in town as protected neighbors, paying employees fairly, and making a practice of leaving part of the harvest for those who need it. A theme running through Moses' vision of choosing life and through the commandments revisited by Jesus in Matthew is how we are in relationship to one another. How do we respond to harms done? How do we work toward reconciliation? Allowing for our anger how do we choose a response 
that will lead to life. How do we do right by those our society doesn't treat as equal? How do our words carry weight? Questions that continue to be relevant centuries later. And insofar as what we read from Deuteronomy this morning was spoken with the love of someone passing on his parting wisdom at the end of life, there is in his words the tenderness, hope, and faith of someone who believes in his own children. There is a teaching of being generous about what it is to be human aware we are going to get it wrong, and that we can start again, that we will know, and that we will be blessings. In an interview with the philosopher and writer Alain de Botton, did I get it right? He talks about the importance of recalibrating our expectations of achieving perfection especially in our relationships, our intimate relationships and relationships more broadly. Though we may have a dream of love, a more generous start to, relationship, to a relationship might be, he says, that love is a painful, poignant, touching attempt by two flawed individuals to try to meet each other's needs in situations of gross uncertainty about who they are and who the other person is. But they are going to try to do their best. Love, he says, is something we learn. Along goes on to describe the phenomenon of the sulk. We only, he says, get into sulks with people whom we think should understand us, but who haven't understood us. I realize that I have such a hopeful view of humanity. I thought we were on the same page. And perhaps along would encourage me to see Humanity could say the same thing right back. Alam maintains that a functioning society requires love and politeness. By love, he means a capacity to enter imaginatively into the minds of people with whom you don't immediately agree and to look for the more charitable explanation for behaviors that don't appeal to you and which could seem plain wrong instead of throwing them into jail or telling them how stupid they are. There are, after all, people who we love, people in our own families who we don't understand, who we vehemently disagree with. So what makes us so surprised that would be the case with people we don't know? Allah urges the only conditions that anyone learns is by tenderness, by love. When I think back to Chuck, that UCC pastor, 
His teaching is not just about the story, but the way that children are respected, to need to have their own space, their own relationship to the quiet, their own ability to make choices for themselves, their own relationships to the grass, the hills, the air, the animals. They are learning love. They are learning the power in choosing. They are learning what it feels like to be able to start again. <laughs>